Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Hallelujah. Now, this morning we're going to talk about the love of God our Father. We all know the scripture, God is love. So when he created man, he created him in love. And so, of course, he wanted to have fellowship with him. And the story of Adam and Eve shows how God, in his love, came and walked in this garden paradise that Adam and Eve were living in, innocent of any evil or sin. This was not heaven, of course. It was some kind of garden paradise here on earth. Adam had no access to heaven. But God, in his love, came and walked with them in the garden, had fellowship with them in the garden. Now, they were given uh, power and authority over everything in the garden. Everything was laid on for them and so on. There was just one command that God gave them that they, of something they were not to do. They were not to eat of the tree of good and evil that was in the midst of the garden. Now, of course, God wanted to protect them from any knowledge of evil. They were created in love. They were created, therefore, in God's goodness because his love is not like human love. It's not based upon emotion. But the love of God seeks the highest good of those who are the objects of his love. So he wanted the highest good for Adam and Eve. And that highest good was that they should have no knowledge of evil. So they were not to take of the fruit of that particular tree. Now we know that Satan came and deceived Eve and she took of that fruit. But we don't talk about the sin of Eve, we talk about the sin of Adam. Eve was deceived, but it was to God, uh, it was to Adam that God had given this command not to eat of that tree. And something must have happened to Eve because she was no longer the innocent woman that she was before she partook of that tree. So Adam was faced now with a choice, either obedience to God or his desire for the woman. And he was the first of many men that have made a wrong choice. He went for the woman instead of God. Uh, and immediately, immediately, Adam, as well as Eve, had lost his innocence. Now he had sinned. Just one act of disobedience separated him from fellowship with God. For the first time, Adam and Eve felt guilty 
They hadn't even known what guilt was before that time. So when God came to have fellowship with them, they now tried to hide from him. Instead of enjoying his love, they were afraid. They were afraid. The separation from God produced this deep sense of guilt. Their sin brought judgment. God's judgment was now they had disobeyed him, they no longer deserved to have fellowship with him. It doesn't seem a very big act of disobedience, just biting a piece of fruit. But the point was that before that, there had not been any disobedience to the will of God. It was what that bite out of a piece of fruit, no mention of it being an apple, by the way, but so you can eat apples with innocence. Uh, it was that bite out of a piece of fruit that caused them to lose their innocence because it was the first act of disobedience against the will of God. So now they were separated from him. And we know that all mankind shared in Adam's sin in the sense that everyone is born with a sinful nature. And that is clear. Any of you who have brought up children know that they were born with a sinful nature. They look lovely and innocent when they're first born in your arms, but as soon as they start to toddle, the first word that they learn is, No! because there's that natural inclination to do exactly the opposite of what they're supposed to do. They disobey what you tell them. And they don't always do it in innocence, my friends. You know the little toddler like that, who knows he's not allowed to go to the cupboard, goes and put his hand on the door and looks at you with deliberate intent and then opens the door. That is the sin of Adam. Uh, so all mankind is born naturally with a, 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 what is called a sinful nature, a disposition to sin. Now, what that means is that people want to please themselves rather than God. What Adam did, you see, in choosing Eve rather than God, he chose to please himself. He chose what he wanted instead of obedience to the Lord. Now, all the way through the centuries of the Old Testament, God was speaking to a particular people. You see, all mankind 
inherited this sinful nature. So God said, right, what I will do is have a people for myself from among all the nations of the world, a people who I will set apart to be a holy people. That is, a people who will be obedient to me. And so he chose the nation of Israel, as we know, uh, and he raised up Moses, to whom he spoke the law. This is what God wanted his people to do in order to be obedient to him. But of course, because their natural nature was to sin, they constantly disobeyed the laws that God gave them. There were even times in their history when they lost sight of the law altogether. At other times, when they were disobedient, God would raise up prophets to warn them of their disobedience and of what, was, what would happen to them if they persisted in their disobedience. Because God allowed their enemies to punish them, to overcome them, to conquer them, sometimes to lead them away into captivity, because they refused to obey his voice. In other words, just as there was punishment for Adam's disobedience, and Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden and not allowed to enter it again, so there was always punishment for the nation of Israel whenever they disobeyed the Lord. Now, God, of course, in his foreknowledge, knew that this is what would happen in the history of Israel. But what he was demonstrating was even if people are called by God and set apart to be a special people, they still are incapable of obeying him if they simply depend upon themselves. And because uh, the people of Israel in the Old Testament only had the natural sinful nature, they inevitably failed God. Even, even the great men and women of God that he raised up were fallible and they made mistakes. Moses, for example, to whom the law was given, was not allowed to enter into the promised land because he disobeyed God in striking the rock when he wasn't told to. God had performed a miracle of providing water by him striking the rock on a previous occasion, but on this other occasion, uh, God provided the water without. Uh, he didn't tell Adam to strike the rock, but Adam struck the rock thinking, well, that's how he did it last time, so that's how he'll do it this time. And for that disobedience, Moses was not allowed to lead the people into the promised land. Now, we might think that's quite harsh judgment on someone who was a great man of God and uh, the most humble of, of men on the earth who, who uh, had been used to deliver his people from, from Egypt. But it demonstrates to us just how important to, to God obedience is. 
Disobedience always reaps a bad reward. Bad consequences. Inevitably, in all of our lives. In whatever way you're disobedient, it always leads to a negative outcome. And of course, the worst thing about disobedience is that it damages our fellowship with God. You see, God could not have fellowship with a disobedient Adam. And so, God knew that the only way to remedy this whole situation and bring mankind back to what he intended when he first created was to make it possible for them to have a new nature, a divine nature, a God nature. And and the only way for that to happen was to make it possible for them to not only be born naturally, but to be born again. Now, the only way to enable that was to send his son. Now, I know I'm telling you things that you know well, but we have to follow the whole process through that God is determining for the outworking of his purposes. So Jesus comes as the Son of God. Now, what the scripture makes clear, we read in the epistle to Hebrews, when Paul is starting his uh, doctrinal epistle to the Romans, uh, it is quite clear that Jesus had two natures. He had his human nature. He was thoroughly human, as, was weak as you and I in his humanity. He shared our weakness, the scripture says. Uh, he was tempted in every way just as we are. So he was subject to all the same pressures that we know here on earth. But he also had, of course, the divine nature. Now, this is why he was born of a woman, the human nature, but he was not conceived by the activity of a man because in that way he would have shared in the fallen nature. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit caused him to have the divine nature, the God nature. So he was born with these two natures. Now, he grew up, as we know, in obscurity. We know very little apart from the incident when he was 12 years old in the temple of anything that went on in his life until he was 30 years old. It was at that time that he went down to uh, the Jordan where John the Baptist was baptizing. Now, he identified completely with us in our need by submitting to baptism. You remember that John the Baptist uh, did not want to baptize him. He says, well, you should be doing this for me, not me for you, because John the Baptist recognized that this was the one for whom he had been preparing the way. This was the Messiah. This was the Christ. This was God's son, God's anointed one. But Jesus said, no, let it be so for now, because Jesus, you see, was coming to identify completely with our condition. And we'll see why in a, in a moment. So when he came up out of the water 
as we know, the heavens were opened and the Spirit of God descended upon him as a dove, just came and rested upon him. And John the Baptist had been told by God that the one who was the Messiah would be the one on whom he saw the Spirit of God descend and remain, which is why he came as a dove. With the disciples, he came as wind and fire because there was, the Spirit drove out all the ungodly things from their lives. But there was nothing ungodly in Jesus. He had lived in obscurity, but he'd lived dependent upon his divine nature. It's impossible for us to conceive how a child could grow up and be sinless, but nevertheless, that was the case with, with Jesus because he had this divine nature and he depended upon his divine nature. So when the Spirit came upon him at his baptism, the voice from heaven was heard God saying to him, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, why was God well pleased with him? Because he'd lived those 30 years depending on his divine nature and making sure that his human nature was all the time submitted to the divine nature that he had. Now, in his divine nature, he had fellowship with the Father. That's what the divine nature gives you. It gives you fellowship with God. You see, when Adam sinned, he lost that fellowship. But as soon as a person is born again, they are given a divine nature. They still have their human nature. That human nature is still a sinful nature. So it's still possible for them to sin. And we call that the flesh. And the scripture says that the flesh and the spirit are totally opposed to one another. But that new birth was to give men the same situation as Jesus, not only a human nature, but also a divine nature. Now, that divine nature is always, always, always obedient to the Father. When you depend upon your divine nature, which is the Spirit of God in you, you will always be obedient, never disobedient, because the Holy Spirit will never lead you into disobedience. He will never even lead you to compromise the will of God. So if you ever sin, it's because at that point in your life, you're depending upon your own natural human, fallen, sinful nature, and not on the divine nature that God has put in you. So Jesus came to make it possible for people to receive this new birth, this divine nature. And what God had promised prophetically is that when people received that divine nature, God would write his law on their hearts. So instead of having his law, his commands, his will, simply written in a book, that it would be written upon their hearts, that they would have a new heart and a new spirit, not just uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit would renew their human spirit 
so they would have a new heart and a new spirit and, and the law of God would be written on those hearts and now they would have the divine nature, God in them, to enable them to obey. Are you at the same meeting that I'm at here? Okay. So, <clears throat> that meant that once people had received this divine nature, they had no excuse to sin. That what God had done was to deliver them from all the sin in order for them to be able to receive this new nature. In other words, they could not receive this new nature, this divine nature, have these new hearts until they were cleansed of all the sins of their former life. So this, of course, is what made it necessary for Jesus to go to the cross. Now, there's some very interesting scriptures about the obedience uh, of Jesus. One of them in Hebrews tells us that he learned obedience through his submission to God, through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. In other words, Jesus had this divine nature, but he had his human nature. He had to keep his human will submitted to the divine will, to the will of God at all times. He had to learn how to do that so that in every situation he was always obedient to the divine nature, to God in him. Otherwise there would be no salvation for anyone. And what it says in, in the scripture is that he had to be to learn that obedience to the point of death. That it was out of obedience that he died. He was prepared to obey the Father even to the point of death. That's the obedience that God is calling every one of us to, that we will be obedient to the Lord unto death, till we die. So that is what Jesus accomplished in order to make it possible for people to be born again. And we know that Jesus said, nobody can even see the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again, unless they have this new nature. Not even all those godly men and women of the Old Testament could go to heaven until Jesus had first gone to the cross, been raised from the dead, and then ascended to heaven. He had to be the first one to ascend into heaven. All those uh, Old Testament saints went to what the scripture called paradise. Paradise is not heaven. Paradise was some uh, state in which they were held until the salvation that Jesus brought about through his cross and resurrection. So, for example, in the um, parable that Jesus told of the rich man and the poor man, the poor man that had, the beggar that had been at the gate of the rich man was in paradise, and the rich man when he was, was in hell, and there was a, a, there was a, a gulf fixed between them 
that they couldn't get across. But, you see, Jesus didn't say he was in heaven. He said he was in paradise. And you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the two thieves that, was cruci that were crucified with him uh, actually repented uh, of his sins, and Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise, not in heaven, because we know Jesus didn't go to heaven then. He didn't go to heaven until after the 40 days of resurrection appearances. So <clears throat> he was, uh, the repentant thief would be in paradise along with Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and David and all the other men and, and, and women of God that we read about in the Old Testament. During that, the, that time when Jesus was in the grave, he enabled, he enabled those uh, people to be released. And so scripture says that when Jesus returned to heaven, he went at the head of a procession of all those. He, he left heaven alone, but he took all of them back to heaven with him. Hallelujah. Of course, now that Jesus has risen and ascended and is glorified, we have direct access to heaven, and we can even have fellowship with God in heaven because of the new nature that he's given us. But what we learn from all this is to have fellowship with God is to be one with him in his love. And Jesus has restored us to our ability to have that fellowship of love with him. But our ability to do that depends upon our obedience. So Jesus said to the disciples at the Last Supper, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And if you continue in my love, you will obey my commands, just as I continue in my Father's love by obeying his commands. In other words, Jesus was saying that he could only continue to live in that fellowship of love through his obedience to his Father. And he was saying to the disciples, the same is true for you. You can only enjoy that fellowship of love through your obedience to the Father. Because every act of disobedience actually causes tension in your relationship with God. And sin can have the effect of breaking that fellowship. Praise God. We now have the blood of Jesus, so if we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we're cleansed from all unrighteousness, we're restored to that place of fellowship, which is why, of course, we need the blood of Jesus every day of our lives so that we can continue to live and to walk at one with God. Amen? So... <clears throat> If we love God, obedience is not an option. Obedience is something that we love. Because we love God, we want to obey him. Uh, we don't like this word obedience because, you know, as children, you see, we had to obey. And, and at school, we had to obey. And when you go to work, you have to obey your bosses. Uh, there's, there's something negative uh, within people to the whole idea of obedience. The point is this. 
that the human nature, the sinful nature, hates obedience. But the divine nature loves obedience. So, you know, you're, you're really a spiritual schizophrenic. <laughs> uh, you know, at one moment you can obey your sinful nature, and the next moment you can be obeying your divine nature. Uh, but that kind of compromise, that kind of conflict, destroys peace and doesn't bring joy into people's lives. So as soon as Jesus had said to the disciples, you know, if you obey, if you continue, uh, you will continue in my love if you obey my commands. The next thing he says is, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want you to know, I want you to have the fullness of joy. Just listen to the words that Jesus spoke about him. He said this, this is from the Last Supper, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Fellowship. Fellowship which is the sharing of life. Then a little later he says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, you see, that's exactly what the Father was doing with Adam. He, he came and had fellowship with him. And Jesus is saying, well, if you love the Father, if you obey my word, you, that demonstrates your love, and the Father and I myself, we will come and have fellowship with you. We'll come and make our home with you. We'll come and stay with you. We'll come and abide with you. So Jesus says, abide in me, rest in me, rest in my love, you see, and I will remain, rest and abide, continue to live in you. So this is always God's way. Now, does he love us when we're disobedient? Well, those of you that have brought up children, did you still love them when they were obedient? The answer is yes. They were easier to love when they were obedient, but you still love them when they were disobedient. But you see, God loves us despite our disobedience, but we don't abide in his love when we're disobedient. We don't, at that moment, live in fellowship with him in the way that God intended. Now, all this has not only serious repercussions, because God, in his love for us, wants us to live in complete freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from fear, because that is what he has made possible through the shedding of his blood. Jesus lived in that complete freedom no matter what was done to him. But realize this, Adam, although he had fellowship with God in the garden, had no access to heaven. So you sometimes hear people say, well, Jesus came to undo the sin of Adam so that now we can have fellowship with God. That's true, but God did something even greater. You see, what the scripture shows us 
is that not only did Jesus die for us, but we were crucified with him. And if we believe that we were crucified with him, we also are able to believe that we were raised to new life with him. And if we believe that we have been raised to new life with him, then we can believe that we were ascended with him so that he now sees us, although we're still here on earth, he now sees us seated in heavenly places with him. In other words, Jesus did far more than simply restore our ability to have fellowship with God on earth. He opened up heaven to us so that we can rule and reign eternally with God in heaven. That was never possible for Adam. He had no access to heaven. But God has done something for us that is even greater. Something that we could never deserve. The whole, the whole thing is, is the matter of his grace, isn't it? But you see, what the scriptures say is that Jesus did not go through this whole process of obedience to God through his suffering, learning that obedience through his suffering, simply so we could go to heaven but so that we could do, fulfill God's original plan, which was to be obedient on earth and then go to heaven. Still the will of God for every child of God is to be obedient to his will here on earth. So, you know, if somebody says to you, well, I don't know the will of God for my life, you can say to them, well, I could, I'll tell you, his will for you is to be obedient to him for the rest of your life. But that, not out of slavish obedience to a written law, but out of the divine nature, which is the love of God in you. So what the scripture says is that when you receive the Holy Spirit, God poured his love, his divine love, that love of the new nature into your heart. At that moment, he wrote the law of God on your heart. At that moment, he made it possible for you to live a life of love for God. A life of fellowship in the love of God. And what Jesus is saying is, if you live in that fellowship of love, you live in obedience to the will of God. Not because you have to, but because you want to. That's the difference. In the Old Testament, the obedience of law is something you had to do or there was punishment. In the New Testament, there's no punishment for disobedience because Jesus has actually suffered our punishment for us. There are consequences because it breaks that fellowship and makes it more difficult for us to fulfill what God is wanting of us in our lives. But God does not punish us in the same way that people were punished in the Old Testament. Now we have this mercy of God that is always available to us every day through the precious blood of Jesus. 
But still, you see, the Old Testament, you obey because you ought to, because that's what you must do. In the New Testament, Jesus says, you obey out of love because you want to, because you love the one who is commanding you, the one who is telling you what to do. And everything that he says to you, everything that he commands you is for your good. There's never any guilt in doing what God tells you to do. You never have to justify your actions when you're being obedient to God. But if you decide to please yourself rather than to please him, inevitably that leads to guilt. You might not feel guilty at the time, but you'll feel guilty about it later, and you'll regret that you did it. Sin has that kind of effect. Out of love for God, we obey Him. Now, a message like this does not bring any condemnation, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those that have this new nature that God has given us. And as you listen to what I say, you might have the same reaction that I have in my own heart and life. Well, I'm not perfectly obedient to the Lord, and there's too much disobedience in my life compared to what God would want in his perfect will for me. But I'm not condemned because I know I'm forgiven and that the blood of Jesus washes away all my guilt. But I know this. In my heart, I don't want to grieve the Lord. I do not want to sin. I do not want to disobey him. I want to love him. I want to obey him. I want to glorify him. I want to fulfill the plan and purpose that he has for my life because I love him. And I can only love him because of his great love for me. So my love, my love for him is simply a response to his much, much greater love for me than I could ever have for him. But the wonderful thing is that I know that in and of myself, although I want to love him and want to obey him, I am totally incapable of doing it if I depend upon myself. Because in my self-nature, my natural nature, my sinful nature, Jesus says there's nothing good. So if I depend upon myself and think that I can please God by pleasing myself, I'm only going to end up in sin. I'm only going to end up in doing that which actually does the very opposite of glorifying the Lord. It grieves him. So if I love God, I don't want to grieve him. I love my wife, so I don't want to grieve my wife. I don't want to do anything that causes grief to my wife. But, you know, our love for one another is, is at another level compared with our love for God. That if we love him, we don't want to grieve him. Now, you see, 
There's only one way to obedience. It's the way of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to be obedient. It's not to say and to pray, Lord, make me more obedient. The obedience, Jesus says, is the outworking of love. So whenever we're disobedient, whenever we disobey the Lord, that's actually a lack of love on our part. At that moment, we've chosen to love self or to love others in the wrong way instead of loving God. So it's not, Lord, make me obey or help me to obey. It's, no, I need more of that love. But wait a minute. It's not worth me saying, Lord, give me more love. Because what he says is that he has already poured his love into my heart by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, I need more love. He says, I have that love and I'm to abide in that love. I'm to remain in that love. So, how then can we actually live this life of obedience? Only the same way as Jesus did. You see, Jesus in his humanity counted himself nothing. He emptied himself of the glory that he had in heaven. He humbled himself. He became a servant. And his attitude was, I have come to do your will, O God. I delight to do your will. But how did he do it? By keeping his heart and his life totally submitted to his Father. It's the only way. It's the only way. It's the only way. Every act of disobedience, every sin, is a lack of submission. It's a lack of surrender to God. If we love him, we stay surrendered to him. Every day, before the day gets underway, I mean, first thing we need to do in the morning is to surrender ourselves afresh to God that day. To surrender to Him is to surrender to love. And that surrender to love will enable us to live in that love throughout the day. And even if anything does go wrong, to very quickly put it right, Lord, forgive me. But actually what you're living with during the course of that day is a surrendered heart. It's the only way. It's the only way to a life of obedience. Without that surrendered heart, you'll be kicking yourself again and again and again. Oh, Lord, I've done it again. Now, I want you to listen very, very carefully to what I say because this is very important and I don't want you to misunderstand what I say. Your human nature, that 
sinful nature, that fallen nature, is always there. It will always be there with you until your dying day. That nature will always have desires that are opposed to the will of God. Now listen carefully to me. Having those desires is not sinful. It is simply your human nature desiring what it wants. To give in to those desires is to give way to sin. Having those desires isn't. Now why is this so important? Because the devil deceives so many Christians. Because they have those desires, they think they cannot obey God. That it's impossible. Look at all these desires, look at these wrong thoughts, look at this, that and the other. That's what the devil does. He says, look at your human nature, look at your fallen nature, look at your sinful nature, look at what you... He wants the focus to be on you and not Christ in you, not the divine nature. And he fools one Christian after another. They think, obedience, it's beyond me. A holy life, totally impossible. Totally impossible. I've got all this stuff going on in me. And if, if people, when I came to church, if people only knew some of the desires I had and some of the thoughts I had during the week, they wouldn't even want to sit next to me. You see, but that's true for every one of us here. Are you hearing me? That's simply your human nature. But what does Jesus say about it? You simply deny it. You deny yourself. You deny that nature. Take up your cross of obedience and follow him. See? So you don't allow the devil to deceive you that because you have those desires, because you have those thoughts, that, that you are just totally outside the will of God. Giving into those things takes you out of the will of God. But Jesus, you see, the first thing that happened once the Spirit came upon him is he was led into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. The devil, what was the devil doing? The devil was doing anything possible to get Jesus to do something according to his human nature rather than the divine nature that God had given him. Look, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Natural. Use, use the divine for your own sake, not for the will of God. Do something spectacular. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Everybody go, oh, oh wow, oh, well. See, self, it will exalt self. I'll give you power over all these nations of the earth if only you bow down and worship me. See, all appealing to the self-life. Jesus didn't sin because Satan tempted him for 40 days. He just never yielded to the temptations. The point is, if you feed the things of the flesh, right, then you will find it more difficult to walk in the Spirit because the flesh and the Spirit are opposed to one another. So the only way to really please God, is to say no to those things of the flesh and yes 
the Holy Spirit, to God, yes, to God, you see, because the Holy Spirit will never lead you into disobedience. He will never lead you to indulge the flesh. He will always lead you in the way of the Spirit. He will always lead you into the will of God. And beloved, what we need to understand is that if we trust God, what Paul calls the obedience of faith that goes with the obedience of love, if we trust God, he will enable that obedience that will glorify him, that will cause us to please him, to praise him, and to bear the fruit that he wants to see in our lives. This is the gospel. This is good news. See. And your reward will be great in heaven. So don't let the devil deceive you just because you know you, you are conscious uh, of, of the fleshly side of your life. Of course you are. You always will be. But you have the grace and the power of God to say no to the flesh. And yes, to the things of the Spirit. And I'll just finish with this. We know, God has told us, that we ended faith camp with all its blessings because God has something greater for us. And he does. And it's beginning to unfold now. Because, you see, what God has been saying is that... Uh, if he's going to do a greater thing through us, he's first of all got to do a greater thing in us. And the greater thing is a life of greater love for him. See? And what does that look like? A love of greater obedience to him. And what does that look like? A life of greater submission to him. And what does that look like? Freedom. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from fear, because there's no fear in love. What does that look like? Victory, that we're always led in his triumphant procession. Now, beloved, you are able to obey whatever God asks of you. Because you are the one and only you that is able to make the choices by which you live. And every day is full of choices. You make decisions. And every day we choose to live for him, to live for ourselves, to please him, please self, to live by our divine nature or to depend upon the human nature. Every day. So if we make the right decisions, we can live in that loving, faithful obedience because we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We have the power of the kingdom of God within us. It's not a matter of talk, but of power, remember. And you see, this is the wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit will lead us in the right way. He'll lead us into the will of God. He takes that word, the word, always the right word in the right situation, boom, at the right time. And then he gives us the power. He enables us to do it. 
In other words, under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, it was man that had to do it. Now, we have nothing to do except to trust God to do it in us and through us, to cooperate with Him, to be so surrendered to Him that He will do it. So Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the, this is the whole thing. He's given himself to you. You are full of God as you sit on that chair this morning. Because, you see, Peter, you know, good old bold Peter, who's always putting his foot in it, but it's Peter who says in his second letter that his divine nature has given us everything we need for life and godliness. My dear friend, you lack nothing you lack nothing that you need. As you sit on that chair this morning, you lack nothing that you need. That God, in that divine nature he's given you, has given you everything you need for your life and for that life to be a godly life that pleases the Lord, that obeys his will, that produces the fruit for which he has called you and chosen you and for which there will be a rich reward, not in an earthly paradise, but in heaven itself. Amen. Come on, let's all stand. Hallelujah. Have you heard from the Lord this morning? Well, you're spiritually deaf if you haven't. In which case you need a new nature. Hallelujah. Let's just close our eyes and be still for a few moments. First of all, I want you to thank God the Father for the obedience of Jesus. If it wasn't for his obedience, none of us would have salvation. None of us would have a new nature, a divine nature. None of us would have access to heaven. So thank you, Father, for the love of Jesus. That he loved you and lived in perfect submission to your will. That he was obedient even to the point of death. That he learned obedience through what he suffered. And we praise you, we bless you, we thank you, Lord. Now thank you that you have given us this new nature, this divine nature, and this divine nature is Christ in us. And you tell us in your word that the secret is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So thank you, Lord, that we have the obedient one within us. That the one who obeyed you on earth, the one who went to the cross in obedience, the one who, because of his obedience, was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is now given the highest place by you. 
thank you that that is the one who lives in me and lives in every one of my brothers and sisters who is here this morning. Thank you that we have the obedient one within us. And thank you, Lord, that if we depend upon ourselves, we will fail. If we depend upon ourselves, we'll be disobedient. We will grieve you, we will be guilty, we will sin. But if we depend upon our new nature, if we depend upon Christ in us, if we depend upon the obedient one that you have given to live within us, we will please you, we will honor you, we will obey you. Oh Lord, you will be able to fulfill the will that you have for us. And we praise you that you have made this obedience possible. Not that we have to try to do it in our own strength and fail, but because the obedient one lives within us. And we just give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And Father, we just stand against the devil who wants us to hate the idea of, be, of obedience. And we thank you that we're the children of God who out of our love for you, we want to obey you. We want your will, O Lord. That like Jesus, we delight to do your will, O God. And we know that as we do your will, so we will prosper. We will prosper in all our ways. Oh, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you forgive us with your precious blood whenever we fail. But thank you, Lord, that whenever we fulfill your will, we are blessed and we prosper in everything that we do. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, it's, it's such a wonderful gospel to know that that it's all down to you, that all we have to do is submit to you, to submit to your lordship, hallelujah, let you rule and reign in us, and then your obedience will become our obedience. Your love, our love. Your fruitfulness, our fruitfulness. Your victory, our victory. Your inheritance, our inheritance, as co-heirs with Christ. So we bless you, we praise you, and we magnify your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, what, what's the greater thing that God's leading us into? A reviving, a reviving move of his spirit. Amen. Because that's, that's the only greater thing that we've than exists, than we have already. See? So that's what he's leading us into. Huh? And what you've heard this morning from one who's experienced this, what you've heard this morning is a revival message. Live it and see the effect it has on your life. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.